Amen. God bless you guys. I can tell somebody else set this thing up because I'm very close to the people in the front. That's good. When Pastor Bill's away, everything changes. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Let me encourage you to read 1 Samuel chapter 21 for Wednesday night. We'll be looking at the entire chapter on Wednesday, so be reading ahead. By way of quick review, and really quick review, Hebrews was a book written, we're not sure the author, I believe it was the Apostle Paul, but ultimately it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit wrote it. And in writing it, he was writing to the Jewish people who were being tempted to go back into their old way of life. In the midst of persecution, in a time of great difficulty, it was so easy to be drawn back into the old religious system, into the old rituals, the old sacrifices. Remember that at this point, the temple is still there. Every time those trumpets are blown, every time a sacrifice is being made, there was a temptation to go back. And so too for us, we can be tempted to go back to our old way of life to old religion and old rituals, when we don't need that, what we have now is a relationship with Almighty God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there's nothing better, there's nothing greater. And so as we've been looking, the whole book, the theme of the book is the the supremacy or the superiority of Jesus Christ to everything else. Seven times in in this letter it says, Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets, he's better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than Aaron, he's better than the law, he's better than everything, and we know that. But he wanted to make it very clear to them, because there's a temptation to be drawn back to the law, or to be drawn back to the prophets, or to be drawn back to something else. And what we need to do is forget that which is behind, and press onward to the upward calling that we have in Christ Jesus, and not be tempted to go back to anything else. And so, last The first week we looked at Jesus is better than the prophets, and then in chapter 2, the end of chapter 1, and now in chapter 2, that Jesus is better than the angels. So I titled the message, we looked at the first half of chapter 2 last week, I titled it, Don't Drift Away. And last week we saw the first two points, we're not to drift away from the Word of God. God's Word is the anchor that keeps us drifting from the truth. The currents that will cause us to drift away. Anybody ever been to the beach, you go out swimming and then... You come back in and you think that someone stole all your stuff because you've actually drifted 250 yards down the beach. You you don't even know it. And the same thing happens in our walk with the Lord if we're not careful and not mindful of pursuing Him. If we just go with the flow, you've heard me say before, any dead fish can go with the flow. And if you just go with the flow, you're going to end up far away from the Lord. And the currents that will draw us away are the world and the flesh and the devil. And as we drift and begin to heed the words of men, and heed the the desires of the flesh, and succumb to the temptations of the enemy, we will fall away. The thing that anchors us in the midst of those currents is the Word of God. God's Word needs to be the authority. It cannot give direction to your life if you don't spend time in it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So do nothing and you will drift. Spend time in God's Word and you won't. Number, point number two in not drifting away, not only from the Word of God, but secondly, do not drift away from the one who died in your place. Perfect, holy God. He's omnipresent everywhere at once. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the law. He's fully God, and yet He took on humanity 
to come to earth and suffer and die that you and I might have eternal life. He had to be fully man so that he could die in our place. And he had to be fully God so that his sacrifice would be acceptable. And that's why he is the only one who could die in our place. Because he's the only one who is fully God and is fully man. He's the only one who is God, period. Amen? And so only through him can we be saved. Philippians 2 says this, Let this mind be in you which is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So don't drift away. Don't drift away from God's word and don't drift away from the one who came and died in your place that you might have eternal life. Stay anchored to the word. Be ever mindful of the cross of Calvary. Now, we move on to point number three this morning. Look at three points this morning. Don't drift away. Number three will be from the one who suffered that we might be sanctified. And amazingly enough, as we'll see in this first portion, he's, he's proud to call us his brethren. That blows me away. Almighty God is proud to call you his brethren. Secondly, we'll see that we are not to drift away from the one who defeated Satan and delivered us from the fear of death. You know what, guys? As Christians, we need not fear death. Death is not an enemy to us anymore. He has triumphed over sin and death. And for us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in heaven. And you know what, guys? Here's the truth. I don't want to be here one second longer than I have to be. Amen? You know, in God's perfect timing, be faithful while we're here, but know that there is no sting in death anymore. And then thirdly, do not drift from our faithful high priest who endured temptation and who intercedes on our behalf. So don't drift away. Look at point number one. From the one who suffered that we might be sanctified, who is proud to call you brethren. We'll pick up in verse 10. And it says, for it was fitting for him. It was fitting for him. When you see the word, the word fitting there means suitable, proper, or right. You know what? It's consistent with the character of our Savior. So what was fitting? For it was for, that means therefore, or in light of what was just said, It was fitting for him. What was fitting for him? Look at verse 9. It says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with the glory of honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So what was fitting for him? That he would taste death for everyone. Some people struggle with, well, why would Almighty God take on humanity and become a man. If he's really God, why did he have to become a man? Because again, as I said before, if he did not become a man, he could not have died for you. Only taking on humanity could he die. And he did that out of love for you. And so, for he is the one. It is fitting for him. Now it's fitting for whom? Who's the him we're talking about? Well, it's Jesus. It's not fitting for the angels. They couldn't die. It's not fitting for a man because he couldn't do it. He's a sinner in need of a savior himself. And you know what? Good works couldn't do it. So Jesus had to. He's the only one who could pay the price. He's the only one who knew before the foundation of the world that he would pay the price. Guys, there's a guy in Florida right now who says he's Jesus. And people are following him and calling out Messiah to him. You know what? There's only one. 
And he's came, and he's risen, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And when he comes back, everyone's going to know it. Amen? Amen? Amen. He's not going to show up in hiding. We're not going to try to figure out if it's him or not. Next time he comes back, we're coming with him, and the world's going to know it. Amen? So we, he's not undercover God. And only he could pay the price. And when all these people come up and try to find another path and find another way, there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other hope. It was fitting for him and him alone. He is the one for whom, look what it says. This describes him. For it is fitting for him for whom are all things and by, by whom are all things. So, The him described here is the one who created all things and who all things were created for. Did you know that Jesus is the creator? He created all things and all things were created for him. It tells us in John 1 that all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. So Jesus is God and all things were made by him and for him. So while while the Jews were attempting to draw these Jewish Christians back to the Old Covenant because they had missed the Messiah, the writer of this letter is reminding them Jesus is the Messiah. He is the answer. He is the one you've been waiting for. You need look no further. You need not go back to the old sacrificial system. Don't go back to the shadow that pointed to the Savior. The Savior has come. You know, today, there are many people that find a a great deal of fascination in Judaism, even amongst Christians, and even some of you that are here this morning. Let me encourage you. It's okay to look at the pictures of our Savior. Certainly, I love the Old Testament as much as anybody. But I want to say this. We are not making sacrifices anymore. We're not having the feasts anymore. We're not doing those rituals anymore because they all pointed to Jesus and He has come. So why hold on to the shadow when the one who the shadow was pointing to has already come? Now, when we look at Passover, it points to Jesus. When we look at the Feast of Tabernacles, it points to Jesus. When you look at the Holy of Holies, it all points to Jesus. But we're not sprinkling blood on the Ark of the Covenant anymore. And we're not bringing lambs in and slitting their throats, and aren't you glad? Jesus paid the price. He is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. They had missed the Messiah and they were trying to get the the Jewish Christians, you've abandoned the faith, you need to come back. Maybe some of you are here and you've come out of a a religion and you've got people summoning you to come back. Well, no, you've got to make sure you get to that next step in our faith. You need to come back. And my heart is not to offend anybody, but I'm going to share this with you and encourage you. Guys, we don't need to be confirmed and baptized as an infant and have our last rites prayed over us to be saved. Amen? That's adding to the cross of Calvary. I do believe that within the Catholic Church, there are people who know God, but... The Catholic Church adds to the cross of Calvary. And the Catholic Church doesn't save you. Neither does Calvary Chapel. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And it's Him and Him alone. And we don't need to add to that and go back. And we feel, oh, but I I feel guilty because I grew up in that faith. I need to go back. No, don't go back. Go forward with Christ. Press into Him. And this is what was happening. They were trying to be drawn back. And He's reminding them, guys, Jesus is the one. He's the Creator He's the Messiah. He's the one who made all things and for whom all things were made. Press into Him. This verse makes it clear that 
His suffering was indeed fitting. It was suitable. It was right. It was proper. In fact, it was necessary. Necessary for what? Let's read on. By whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. His death was necessary that you and I might be brought into glory. Now here's the good news, guys. We have salvation now and heaven to come. And we are in Christ. We can be in Christ today. And we can walk with Him right now. And eternal life doesn't start when we die. We have it this very moment if we've given our lives to Jesus Christ. And because He died, and because it was necessary and suitable, and because He did it out of love for us, we can be brought from death into life. We can be brought from darkness into light. We can now live and walk in the glory of Almighty God. It was necessary to restore man back to his position of glory and honor. You understand something. That when God created man, man walked in perfect communion with God. Adam walked and he could just talk to God. There was no sin. There was no separation. Nothing on this planet died. The plants didn't die. The animals didn't die. There was no death. There was no pain. Nothing. Amazing. And in the midst of all of that, man chose to sin. And that sin separated man from God. And that's why Jesus had to come to restore sinful man back to holy God. So it was suitable for him. It was necessary for him to come so that we could return, in a sense, to the the state of what the Garden of Eden was like. Back, Back to communion with the Father. That veil was torn when Jesus died. We can enter into his presence anywhere and anytime. Jesus came to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Literally to share his glory, his sonship. You know, he's the son of God and we are not the son of God, but we are sons and daughters of God. We're his children, adopted into his family. It doesn't get any better than that. He shares not only his sonship, but his holiness. And then he delivers us from the destruction we deserve. A deliverance that did not come cheap. Salvation is a free gift, but it didn't come cheap. Amen? Amen. And we should never take that for granted. It says then, reading on, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here Jesus is referred to as the captain. You didn't know he was called that, did you? He's got so many names in scripture. I love it. Now, and you know what? And I wish I could describe him to you, right? That's my king, right? And he is the captain. And the word captain there means, in Greek, it's the author or the prince or the originator or the leader or the pioneer. He's the one that made the way, that pioneered the way, that opened the door that we could come into fellowship with Almighty God. So indeed, he is the captain. He is the one who has led the way. And what I find interesting, just as Joshua, not Moses, led the people into the land of promise. You remember that story? Moses was the one who wandered with them in the wilderness for 40 years. If you remember, Moses got angry and he smote the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. The rock being a picture of Jesus Christ. And he smote it and because he smote it in anger and misrepresented God, God said he would not enter into the land of promise. But I believe there's another reason Moses didn't enter in. Because Moses is a picture of the law. And the law cannot bring us into the land of promise. The law cannot bring us into the place of salvation. 
All the law can do is reveal our sin and our need for a savior. So the one who brought them in was not Moses, but Joshua, Yahshua, same name as Jesus. The law could not bring them in, Joshua or Jesus did. And so too for you and I, the law cannot bring us into salvation, only Jesus can. Amen? He is the captain, he is the pioneer, he is the one who makes the way for you and I to have eternal life. A captain is the one who initiates and he carries through. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He starts it, he completes it, he is the captain. He originated our salvation and he is the one to fulfill it. So how did he do it? How did he fulfill our our salvation? By leaving heaven and coming to earth. I said this last week. Next time you're thinking about the cross, remember where Jesus left from. Where did he leave? Remember in heaven, he's perfect holy God. He's still perfect holy God on earth. But in heaven, he's worshipped, he's magnified, and he's praised. He comes to earth, and he's mocked, and he's spit upon, and eventually he's beaten, he's scourged, and he's crucified. He left heaven to come to earth, and he did it out of love for us. He took on humanity, and he tasted death for every man. Now, why did he do it? It says there, to make perfect through suffering. Now, make perfect. Does that mean that Jesus wasn't perfect already? The better translation of that word in Greek is to make complete. The word means to to carry to a goal, to consummate, to complete. Jesus is and always has been perfect. It is a lie and it is blasphemy to say anything different. When people say that, oh, Jesus had... No, he didn't. He's God. He didn't have to do anything. Amen? He chose to do it. He's always known. He's always been. He always will be. He's always been perfect. But our salvation, interestingly enough, even though he is perfect, our salvation was made complete By his suffering. The Bible tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. Now, a lot of people point to physical healing, and and it could point to that. But I believe ultimately what he's talking about here is our salvation. It's by his crucifixion that we are healed spiritually, and that you and I can have eternal life. Why was it fitting for Jesus, the author of salvation, to suffer Because it was in his suffering and his death for us that our sins were paid for and our salvation was accomplished. It was perfect. Now, what's interesting, the Jews needed to see that salvation had been made complete. And it wasn't made, remember, context, context, context. Remember, this book is written by a Jew to the Jews, telling them to quit being Jews, right? And so as he's writing this book to them, he keeps reminding them, guys, it's not your good works. It's not drawing back to the sacrificial system. It's Jesus Christ. He's the answer. And I know this seems redundant sometimes, but I'm amazed at how so many places and so many people will accept anything but Jesus Christ. Sit under this tree and hold a crystal in your hand and chant. Okay. Believe in Jesus Christ. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Isn't it amazing? Hug a tree and just chant. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Walk through this labyrinth. Okay, I'll do that, right? Believe anything except the simple truth that Almighty God came to earth and suffered and died in your place and offers salvation to you as a free gift. Oh, no, I can't buy that. I'm amazed. Now, we know and we need to pray that God would open the eyes of these people. Amen? We live in Santa Cruz. 
where everything under the sun goes. And you know what? My heart is breaking for those people. More today than ever before. I'm so broken. I drive by some of these places and I just, my heart breaks. I pull into the parking lot sometimes to just pray. God, open their eyes. And you know what, guys? We need to be more bold about the truth so that those who are walking in the lie hear it. Amen? You're not called to save anybody you can't, but we are called to be bold about our faith and to not be ashamed of our Savior. Now, what's interesting, I want you to see this too, is that the Jews needed to see it wasn't the feast, it wasn't the things that pointed to Christ, but it was actually His death on the cross. You know what? We need to understand too, that while all these things are a part of the redemption of our Savior, they don't save us. The fact that He is perfect didn't save us alone. Of course, He had to be perfect, but the fact that He was perfect alone didn't save us. The fact that He was born of a virgin, He had to be born of a virgin or He wouldn't be perfect, but that in and of itself does not save us. The miracles He did prove Himself to be God, but the miracles in and of themselves do not save us. Even the teaching of the Word, we need to hear it, we need to live by it, we need to follow it, but that in and of itself does not save us. All those things that were were necessary, but guys, it was His death upon the cross of Calvary and Him taking all of our sin upon Himself and dying in our place and raising from the dead. That's what saved us. Amen? And so nothing short of that. We can't, well, I believe he was born of a virgin, but I don't believe in the resurrection. Then you're not a Christian. Well, I believe in the, you know, the deity of Christ, but I don't accept the fact that he died on the cross. I don't think that really, then you're not a Christian. Until you come broken and repentant before him and crying out, asking him to be your savior, not just your savior, but your Lord, and giving your life completely over to him, you're not a Christian. Pastor Dave, that's not very politically correct. You know what? I'm not worried about having politically correct people, but born-again believers on fire for God. Amen. Amen? And you know what? As we continue on through this text, I pray that we will be exhorted. But know this. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing more. Nothing less. Only Him. He created man perfect and sinless. Man chose to sin, break fellowship, and our loving Savior didn't leave us there. Aren't you glad he didn't just send us a map? All right, guys, you totally blew it. Let me drop a map on you. I hope you figure it out, right? And in a sense, he did. He gave us the word of God. And praise God for his word. It gives direction to our lives. But you know what's more awesome than that? Is he not only gave us the word, but he, the word, came to earth and lived it out for us, the perfect holy example, and then died in our place so we might have eternal life. How in the world can I not give my life to him? He laid down his life for us. What, did he give us half his life, part of his life, some of his life? Or did he give it all for us? How can we not give it all for him, amen? Lord, help us not to be satisfied with lukewarm Christianity anymore. Not to be satisfied with a get-out-of-hell-free card, but have that burden and that passion to walk in the center of His will. You know, if we just would be glowing in the dark for Jesus, what in the world would happen to Santa Cruz? Amen? You're the only, you know, the, the light company in Santa Cruz doesn't put all the lights on one street corner. They spread them out all over the city. Some of you might say, well, I'm the only Christian in my office. God put you there for a reason, and all the more reason for you to be glowing in the dark. Amen? Because you're the only one there. Billy Graham's probably not coming to your office anytime soon, so it's up to you, amen? And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Let Him use you for His glory. 
So our salvation was made perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies, verse 11, and those who are being sanctified are all of one. So the one who sanctifies us, the word sanctified means to be set apart. It can mean to be set apart from profane things and dedicated to God. It can also mean to purify or to be set free from the guilt of sin. So we've been justified. Just as if we never sinned. You've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been justified. We are being sanctified in one sense that God is continuing to do a work in us. Until the day we are glorified and we'll be in His presence forevermore. So we've been justified, we're being sanctified, we'll be glorified. And praise God that He's continuing to do a work in us. Justification, the work is done. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit that continues on this morning as we sit here and study the Word of God. Lord, continue day by day to transform us into a clearer reflection of the Son. As believers, may we continue to grow closer to Him day by day. But note, He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified. So who sanctifies? The Lord does. And those who are being sanctified, that's us. We're all one. That's what it says. So you and I are one in Christ, and we are one with Christ. Now, we're not Christ. Amen? Amen? I know it's Santa Cruz. Let me make it really clear. We're not Christ. We're not God. You've heard me say it before. There are two undeniable facts. There is a God, and you're not Him. Amen? And so, with that being said, it is important to know that we are one with Him. He's the one who sanctifies us. We are the ones being sanctified, and we are one with Him. Now it says that we are all of one. What does that mean? We're all of one Father. We're all of one family. Praise God. God the Father is my dad. That good or what? He's called Abba Father in Scripture, which means Daddy. And understand that Daddy is never far away. Daddy is someone whose lap you can crawl up into who loves you, who cares for you, who watches over you. And then look what it says. I love this. It says, For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He calls us brothers and sisters. Christ does. We are his family. We are his brothers and his sisters. In spite of all we've done, he sees us as holy through the blood that was shed on Calvary. Now, isn't it interesting that he's not ashamed to be identified with us, and yet sometimes we're ashamed to be identified with him? Who's the one who should be embarrassed? Yeah, that's my, yeah, he's mad, he belongs to me. Ah, you know, right? I mean, he could be embarrassed about some of the stuff we do, but yet he's never embarrassed to call us his children. He's never embarrassed Christ to call us his brothers and sisters that we are going to be one. We are one with him and we are in Christ and he loves us and he's unashamed of us. Lord, help us to be unashamed of him. Let's not, you know, pretend like we're yawning when we're praying at the restaurant. Amen. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for this fruit. Jesus name. Nobody saw it, right? Amen. <laughs> Let's get out of the undercover Christianity. Let's not be ashamed of our Savior. I've had people say to me, well, I don't have Christian stickers on my car because I drive too fast. Well, slow down and put the Christian stickers on your car. Let's not be ashamed of our Savior. He's not ashamed of us. And if anybody should be embarrassed, it would be Him, not us. 
He's done nothing for us to be ashamed of and everything for us to be blessed and praising God about. Lord, help us. Lord, light a fire in our hearts. May we not be ashamed of the gospel of our Savior. He's the Son of God who became the Son of Man that you and I might be adopted into His family. That's the God we serve. He took on humanity that we might one day be with Him in glory. Verse 12, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. Now he quotes from the Old Testament. And I love the fact that he does that because as he quotes out of Psalm 22, this is a messianic psalm. Go read Psalm 22 sometime and tell me who in the world that's talking about. Hundreds of years before crucifixion existed, Psalm 22 is all about Jesus hanging on the cross. And what I love about it, as you read it, you can't mistake it. And so he's talking to these Jews who are trying to go back to being Jews. And he's reminding them that the fulfillment of Psalm 22 has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And they needed not to go back to anything else. Again, this psalm is known as the crucifixion psalm or the psalm of the cross. And it describes in detail the crucifixion hundreds of years before it existed. Written to Jewish believers to connect the Old Testament messianic psalm to jesus christ that they would not be tempted to go back to the old covenant again why grasp at shadows when we have the fulfillment note it here again he calls us i will declare your name to my brethren praise god now this was written by david he's speaking of declaring the name of god to his brethren but it's fulfilled also in jesus who declared the name of the father to us who became his brethren amen That's who we are, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He revealed the Father to us. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what's amazing? It says there, in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. You know what I believe this means? That Jesus not only intercedes for us, but he sings praise songs with us. Ever thought about that? We're worshiping and Jesus is worshiping with us. That's good stuff. Amen? And you know what? He doesn't care what your voice sounds like at all. You know, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And he just wants us to open up our our hearts to him. Singing praise to the Father right alongside us. He is participating with us in worship. Verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Now, this is a quote out of Isaiah chapter 8. Again, the writer quotes the Old Testament. He knows his audience. He's speaking to those who are being drawn back into Judaism. And he's reminding them not to drift away from the one who is the fulfillment of all these scriptures in the Old Testament. Not to drift away from Jesus, the one who suffered that we might be sanctified. He says, I will put my trust in him. This expresses his clear confidence in God as his father. It says in 2 Samuel, The God of my rock, and Him I will trust. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my Savior, though though Thou savest me from violence. He's the one that watches over us, you guys. You ever think about that, that God's always watching? Sometimes you don't like that. Is He watching now? Not so much. I don't want Him watching now, right? I just was screaming at my wife. Not some, don't, don't watch now. Turn around, right? But the truth is, he's always watching. You're always on his mind. He loves you. And notice yet another reference. Here I am, here am I, and the children whom God has given me. 
Now again, as this is being pointed to the Messiah, isn't it interesting that we are the children, we are the brethren that God has given to the Savior, the Father has given to the Son. We are linked to Jesus in fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. Again, not in rebellion to it. It's God's plan, God's will, that we would be adopted into the family through the work of the Son. So don't drift away from the one who suffered that we might be sanctified, who is proud to call you brethren. He's proud of us. May we not be ashamed of him. Secondly, don't drift away from the one who defeated Satan and delivered us from the fear of death. Guys, Satan is real. And we do fight a spiritual battle. But I think we can make some mistakes on both sides. I think we can blame everything on Satan. And the devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. Did you know that? Flip Wilson was wrong, all right? The devil can't make you do anything. He can tempt you, but you choose to sin. The devil can't make you do anything. And we need to understand that while it is a spiritual battle, and we should not downplay the fact that it's a spiritual battle, we must never be overwhelmed by the fact that it's a spiritual battle, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus has triumphed over the enemy. Satan is toast compared to God. Amen? He's not even close. We sometimes think he's the opposite of God. He's not the opposite of God. He's nowhere near God. Amen? He was a created being who tried to overthrow God, and how did that work out for him? You're out of here, right? And Satan has to ask permission to do anything. So God is sovereign and God is in control. So notice what it says in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. Here's the reference. You and I were made flesh and blood. So too, Jesus came and took on humanity just like us. Now, he's writing to the Jews. What are they looking for in a Messiah? A ruling king. They want a Messiah to come in and wipe out the Romans and establish his kingdom on earth. And this is why so many will be duped by the Antichrist. Because that's exactly what he will do when he comes. He will come and he will put himself in a position of authority. And he will, you know, bring, quote, peace. But you know what? Jesus did not come to reign as king. He came as a suffering servant to die that we might have eternal life. And they missed him because they were looking for a physical king instead of a spiritual one. And people miss the Lord today because they're looking for physical blessings rather than spiritual ones. Again, the Messiah came in a way they had not expected. Not as a warring king, but a suffering and submitted servant and savior. But because we were made of flesh and blood, he himself took on flesh and blood. He came into earth the same way we did. He was born. He came to earth. He was born. So why did he take on humanity? Why did he come to earth? Rest of that verse. That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Death came when man succumbed to the temptation of the devil. Right? Death came when Satan tempted man and man went for it. That's when death came. And death was destroyed or overcome when Jesus came and defeated sin and death at the cross of Calvary. Now, Satan, his favorite thing, he loves death. The Bible says he seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. His whole plan is, let me kill and destroy as many people as I can. He hates you. He wants to kill you. That's what he wants. You know what? It's okay to hate him back. 
but leave them in God's hands. Amen? God, God, you're greater. You take care of them. I don't want to address the devil. Now listen to this. As wages of sin is death, the devil no doubt had a time of gloating. All men were sinners. They were separated from God. You're all going to die sooner or later, right? He's going to win no matter what. By the way, the results are in one out of every one person dies, right? And so you're all going to die. And so Satan thinks, hey, they're all going to die. I'll get them now or I'll get them later. Either way, they're going to die. And he wants to kill you. And you know what? Each time someone dies, he thought he'd won a great victory. But you know what he thought he won the greatest victory of all? Was when Jesus died on the cross. But what he didn't understand, it was Friday, but Sunday's coming. Amen? That Jesus not only died on the cross, but three days later he rose from the dead. And he triumphed victoriously over sin and death. And he defeated the enemy on the cross of Calvary. And that's what this verse is telling us. He Through death, he might destroy him. He had to take on humanity so he could destroy death. He had to take on humanity so he could destroy the enemy. And he did it out of love for every person in this room. Praise God that he's risen and living Savior. He paid the price in full. You know what? We need not fear death ever again. You know, you give your life to Jesus, you have eternal life starting right now. And you're going to close your eyes one day on this planet if the Lord doesn't rapture us first and open them up in glory. Guys, Christians die well. And for us, it's not painful. It's truly nothing to be fearful of. It's just moving day. Amen? To a much better neighborhood. Amen? And we move and we'll be in His presence forevermore. Look what it says in verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Boy, doesn't this sound like the world we live in today? People are so fearful of dying. Is that true or not? Well, what if I freeze my head? Maybe I can come back. (laughs) Freeze your head. People are bound up and enslaved to the fear of dying. Why is there so much cosmetic surgery? Why do people, you know, eat stuff that just doesn't taste right? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, get after me afterward, I know, whatever. My grandfather said, when I die, I'm going to die full. I like that, it was good. But here's the point. For those who don't know the Lord, there is indeed a fear, a dread, a terror that is carried around for a lifetime, a fear that grows with every birthday. Oh man, I got to do, I don't know how much time I have left. Uh, You know, I got to, you know, and there's always trying to find another way. And you know what happens is they try to postpone death to stay a step ahead of it. But here's the truth. We cannot defeat death in and of ourselves. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who triumphed over sin and death, can we have peace in the face of it. Guys, I'm not worried about dying. Now, sometimes I think maybe as Christians, maybe you fear the very dying itself, but not death. Guys, we don't have to fear. Our God is faithful, and He will not leave us alone. In Christ, we are no longer in bondage to death, nor do we need to fear it. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Guys, We have nothing to fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear. We're going to heaven. We're his kids. Who can conquer death? 
Who can move death from an enemy to a servant? Only Jesus can. As Christians, we ought to have a healthy view of death. And again, as I said, it's simply moving day. We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in heaven. And again, it's so sad to see people paralyzed by the fear of death. And when you are, you're bound to compromise in hopes of getting a few more months or weeks or days or hours. And the world, sadly, is lost trying to outrun death in a race that they will absolutely lose. For us, death has no sting. Satan is defeated. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Now... The angels have no flesh or blood and they don't die. But who does he give aid to? The seed of Abraham. Who's the seed of Abraham? The Jews. Who is he talking to in this letter? The Jewish people who have committed their life to Christ who are being tempted to go back and he's telling them Christ has given aid to you. Christ's redemption is in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and the feast and the sacrifices. In Matthew's gospel, the gospel written to the Jews, most specifically, he traces the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the seed of Abraham, the Messiah they've been waiting for. And that's what he's telling them one more time. In him, these Jews could rest. They didn't have to go back to the old religion and rituals. The things that lead men to death. You know, religion, if you try to earn your way to to heaven, you'll never be good enough. You know, every other religion out there, all it does is put a burden on you. Oh man, I've got to do better. I've just got to do better. Hey guys, we should want to walk in holiness. But you're not going to do better because you try harder. You're going to do better because you die to self and you're filled with Him. That's the only way that's going to happen. And so sadly, you see all these other religions that try to put burdens on you when He wants to take the burden from you. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Repentance and relationship delivers us from the fear of death. So don't drift away from the one who suffered that we might be sanctified. Don't drift away from the one who defeated Satan and delivered us from the fear of death. And finally, don't drift away from our faithful high priest who endured temptation without sin, who intercedes on our behalf, who helps us endure through the times of temptation. Last couple verses. Look at verse 17. Therefore... When you see therefore, you ask what it's there for. So in light of what we've just heard, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. He had to be made like his brethren. If Jesus were not like us, he could not be our high priest because he not only represents us to God and he, he represents God to us. He does both. He represents us to God. He intercedes with Almighty God the Father on our behalf, but he also is a representation of God the Father to us. We look at him and we see the Father. And when the Father looks at him, he sees us through his shed blood made holy. He's the intercessor between God and man. And he represents us. He made atonement for our sin. And that couldn't have happened if he hadn't been made like us. It says that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. The high priest, it's interesting. If you were here when we went through the Old Testament, went through Leviticus. He wore a breastplate that had stones engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his chest. And then on his shoulders, he carried 
you know, each of the tribes' names were also on his shoulders. So he, he carried around the 12 tribes, the high priest, near and dear to his heart and bearing the burden upon his shoulders. What I find interesting is that our great high priest didn't wear the breastplate, but he was wounded in his side and he carried the cross on his shoulders again to make propitiation for us, to pay the price for us. He is the fulfillment of the high, the great high priest. He is the great high priest, the one that all the high priests were pointing to. And he was basically telling him, you don't need a high priest anymore because the high priest has come. Now, why did he come? Look what it says. A merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, what does that word mean, that big word propitiation? It simply means to satisfy the payment for our sin. He paid the price. He's addressing the Jews, again, whose Old Testament feasts and sacrifices and rituals, and he's comparing that to the gospel. It doesn't matter what people think of God's salvation. Jesus' sacrifice is the full and satisfying payment. It's so foolish for us to add to it. The rituals and the good works. Sin indeed requires a heavy price. Jesus alone could pay it, and he already has. So guys, let's not try to heap other things. Let's press into him. Let's pursue him, not pursue religion and rituals. Last verse. For in that he himself suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You know what? Jesus was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. So that means he walked in our shoes, he endured temptation, and yet he walked in holiness. You know what that tells us? It tells us that he can relate when we're being tempted. He can say, I've been there. I've been right where you are. Keep your eyes on the Father. I've been right where you are. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you remember what happened when Jesus' public ministry started, he went out and he was baptized. And as he was baptized, making a public proclamation of who he was, God the Father, heaven opened up, and he said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came, descended upon him like a dove. And right that moment, he was led out into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, he fasted. And the devil tempted him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And Jesus, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, answered the devil the same way every time with the Word of God. The way that we overcome temptation is the way that our Savior gave us an example of doing it. Here's how. We walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we are ever mindful of God's Word. So when the temptation comes, we remember what the Word of God says. Because the enemy will always tempt us with something that is contrary to the Word of God. Amen? So we need to know the Word and we need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit lest we drift away, lest we fall into the traps of the enemy. So don't drift away. First, from the Word of God, it anchors us. Second, from the one who died in your place, who left heaven and took on humanity, that you might join him there one day. Third, from the one who suffered, that we might be sanctified. Fourth, from the one who defeated Satan and delivered us from the fear of death. And fifth, from our faithful high priest. And as I said last week, we have five different points here, but they all point to one person. He is the Word, amen? He is the one who died in our place. He's the one who suffered that we might be sanctified. He's the one who defeated Satan, and he is our great high priest. So here's the point. Don't drift away from Jesus. 
Be passionate about him, ever mindful of him, falling more in love with him every single day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we know that without you, we can do nothing. So we ask, Lord, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit, that we might walk in the center of your will. We also ask, Lord, that you would help us to to be men and women of your word, who are in the word daily, who are led by it, who hold on to it as an anchor of truth. And Father, I pray for those in the room this morning who are going through difficulty. Lord, may we be a body who ministers one to another, who hold up each other's hands, who, is, who encourages each other. May we use the gifts you've given us, Lord. May we truly function as the body of Christ. And may we be the body of Christ, not just in this room on Sunday morning, but every single day, everywhere we go. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... Hey guys, a couple weeks ago, we got into groups of three or four people and we spent a few moments praying. We're going to do that again this morning. My heart is this, and maybe the hour's a little late, but where are you going, all right? We need to spend some time with the Lord, amen? And I know people were blessed. If you're new here and you don't feel comfortable praying with people, you don't even have to say anything. But let me encourage you. God hears our prayers, and He loves it when we come before Him. So I just want to take four or five minutes, get in a group of about three people, Just share one prayer request. And can I encourage you, not to just pray with each other now, but to commit to pray for each other every single day this coming week. Amen? All right, let's get into groups right now and pray together.